This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. It's Zuma Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zuma Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. A little later, we'll be dropping by Duffy's Tavern to see what mischief and malapropisms are on the bill with Archie the bartender. First, though, we deal with things of the supernatural in a visit to 1951 and a very popular sci-fi program called Dimension X. It was not until the 1950s that science fiction radio really hit its stride, even as science fiction was beginning to appear on television as well. Radio programs such as Mutual's 2000 Plus and NBC's Dimension X were anthology series that offered a variety of exciting tales of future technology with a special focus on space exploration, including alien invasion, though both series also often reflected contemporary anxieties about the dangers of technology, something it kind of worries us today. Dimension X was not the first adult science fiction series on radio, but the acquisition of previously published stories immediately gave it a strong standing with the science fiction community, as did the choice of well-established, respected writers in the field. Isaac Asimov, Robert Bloch, Ray Bradbury, and Kurt Vonnegut, to name just a few. They adapted most of the stories and also provided original scripts. Let's hear now tonight's offering... Dwellers in Silence. Adventures in Time and Space, told in future tense. Dimension The National Broadcasting Company, in cooperation with Street and Smith, Publishers of astounding science fiction bring you Dimension X. Twenty years had passed since the last of the giant migration ships had crashed to the surface of Mars, bearing its pitiful handful of survivors of the Earth Wars. Twenty years of scratching at the stubborn Martian soil. Twenty years of longing, of turning eyes toward the green Earth as it hung on the horizon like a beckoning light. And now it was done. And the first new ship, built of shining Martian chromaton, had lifted bravely toward home with three men locked in its metal belly. Would they return to an Earth made barren by cosmic dust? To a blackened radioactive hell? 
Or would they find intelligence still alive on the scourged planet? What had 20 years of death and radioactivity done to our beloved Earth? That's it, Captain. We've intersected the course vector. Williams. Yes, sir? Prepare for deceleration. Forward fission ready, Captain. Read us off, Athens. We'll enter the gravitational field of the Earth in exactly ten seconds. Nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three. Fire two and four. One. Two and four. What's our momentum, Evans? Negative three. Fire one. One. Negative four now. Steady as she goes. How are we? On parabola now. If we can hold, we should breach the heaviside layer somewhere north of what used to be Mamansk. Let's have a look at her. Visor, please. Yes, sir. Mother Earth. Twenty years. We're going home, Evans. We're going home. Home to what, Captain? Home to a burned-out radioactive planet that is incapable of supporting human life? Evans and I don't agree with that, Williams. We think the Earth is ready for us again. That she'll give us another chance. I'm sorry, Captain, but I was born and brought up on Mars under the new central government. We younger men disagree with you about migrating back to Earth. For us, Mars is home. Well, we'll see. If there is some form of life on Earth, we'll find out soon enough. Williams, head for New York. Captain, you can barely see the top of the Atomic Trades Building in the twilight. They never finished building it. Dark as a tomb. Slow to cruising speed. Cruising speed. It begins to look as if Williams is right, Captain. Not a sign of life on four continents. Well, we'll make a radiation check and then head back for Mars. You agree with me, gentlemen? That for all practical purposes, the planet is dead? It's still my captain. What is it? Am I going out of my mind? Look out that way to the west. Could that be... By heaven, it is. Those are lights. Turn the ship. Heading west, southwest. Full speed. Full speed. They are lights. Captain, it's a city, a whole blasted city lit up like a Christmas tree. Well, what do you think of your dead planet now, Williams? We shall see, Evans. Remember, the commission wants evidence of life as we know it. Decelerator negative five. We're going to take her down. There's an open area just on the edge of the city. Yes, sir. Hold on, gentlemen. We're about to land. Landing jacks are down, sir. Open the airlock. Close. All right, gentlemen. Before we go out, security at all times. Williams, you have the blast gun? I have it. If anyone becomes separated, fire a shot and make for the ship. How's the radiation evidence? Safe enough so far. This seems to be a light area. Very well. Open the lock. now and not 
a soul to be seen. There must be someone. How do you explain the lights? I don't know. Municipal building. Shall we have a look here, sir? Possibly the records might contain some clue. Good idea. Keep your weapons ready. The store is in good working order. Almost as if it had been oiled recently. Long corridor. Lights blazing in every office. William, stand to watch here in the corridor. Fire a blast if you need us. Yes, sir. Evans, you come with me. We'll start right here with the city clerk's office. Uh, better check radiation again. Not enough to do any damage. Gives you the creeps, doesn't it? This desk. Papers crumpled, inkstand. Just as if somebody came in and worked here every day. Calendar. June 18th, 1987. Why, that's the day of the evacuation. The dust cloud had already blanketed New York and was heading west. Dog licenses. I think permits. Somehow I have a peculiar feeling that. Good Lord. Pick it up, Evans. Hello? No answer. Hello. I hear something. A scratching sort of noise. Good day, Doctor. What? How are you? I called to ask some advice about a trepanning problem. Can you tell me if the lateral cut should be made first? Hello. Hello. This is absolutely Thank insane. You, Hello. Doctor. I'll do that. By the way, how is your wife, Alice? And the girls? And your son, John? Fine boy, John. I'll call again tomorrow. Goodbye, Doctor. Hello. Hello. It's gone dead. Who was it? I don't know. A strange voice carried on a conversation about some surgical operation without paying the slightest attention to anything I said. Captain, the lights are out. Good Lord. Captain! Captain! I have a torch. Come on. Williams, what is it? I don't know. You fired a shot. Yes, sir. Just as the lights went out, I, I'm sure I saw a figure. It looked like an old man in a white robe. It moved across the end of the corridor down that way. Flash your torch down there, Evans. Nothing there. Are you certain, Williams? I'm not certain. The lights. They're on again. We're going to get to the bottom of this. Wait, wait. What? Listen. Quietly. Someone is coming, walking slowly toward the corridor. Coming closer. Cover him when he turns the corner. It'll be a pleasure. Don't fire unless I give the word. Shh. What? <gasps> Jumping Jupiter. Are you... Is it really someone or am I having hallucinations? We are no vision. No. No, you seem to be real. I saw the ship come down. I, I thought perhaps I was losing my mind. It's, it's been so many years. I'm Captain John Parsons. These are my assistants, Dr. Evans and Mr. Williams. We've returned to Earth from Mars. Then oh, it's happened. We're not alone any, anymore. Forgive me, gentlemen. I, I seem moved. I, I, I waited and hoped for so long. You survived the radiation? We, we did. There are others? My family were the only ones... I answered the phone a moment ago. Who was it? You heard my voice, Doctor. Your voice? To break the loneliness, I've recorded my voice and rigged up an automatic telephone. It's pleasant to hear the phone ring. 
I, I come here to do my work. I take it you're a medical man. My name's Cornelius Hathaway. Hathaway? Hathaway the brain surgeon? You know my name. Who doesn't? I watched you on television at college. I saw you 20, 23 years ago. You performed the difficult surgery for a cerebral tumor. Marvelous. Thank you. I, I'd almost forgotten. My, my mind, you see, I'm... I'm almost 80 now. You look fine, sir. Well, we've had the best of everything. An entire city to choose from. Coal storage, the best equipment. Oh, but come, when I saw your ship, I told Alice, my, my wife, you know, to prepare a feast. This is a great day for me, gentlemen. A great, great day. <laughs> This is my wife, gentlemen. Alice, this is Captain Parsons, Dr. Evans, and Mr. Williams. How do you Now, if you'll follow me, gentlemen, we'll, we'll meet my children. Lord, what a beautiful woman. She looks no more than 35. These are my daughters, Susan and Marguerite. This is my son, John. Oh, I nice well, Sit down, gentlemen, sit down. <laughs> we'll have a feast in honor of this occasion. Susan, Marguerite, get the best silverware and the damask napkins. Uh, John, fetch the glasses. Oh, yes, Father. It'll only Excuse take... Excuse me, John. Sir? How old are you? 23, sir. Thank you. Now, if you'll excuse me. What is it, Captain? Something wrong? Nothing except that it's impossible. You see, Dr. Hathaway's son was already in college when I started. That would make him at least 45. That was a wonderful meal, Mrs. Hathaway. Doctor, your wife is an exceptional woman. <laughs> Thank you, sir. How would you gentlemen like some fresh gingerbread with your coffee? I baked oh, it this morning. Wonderful. Smell that, Evans? Oh, it's like coming home, Mrs. Hathaway. <laughs> we enjoy having you here. Mrs. Hathaway, may I compliment you on your having preserved your youth and beauty so well? Thank you. We have had no worries here. No competition. Only the things we need for material comfort. Uh, Parsons and I were wondering, Dr. Hathaway, if the radioactivity had any effect in preserving tissue. Your children all look so young, too. It, uh, it is possible, gentlemen, of course. Uh, radiation does strange things to living tissue. Uh, Alice, could we have some champagne? Of course. I'll only be a moment. An amazing woman. Did you ever see such grace? Such complete relaxation. It doesn't seem quite natural. I, I beg your pardon, gentlemen. Uh, Captain Parsons was just about to ask how you and your family managed to escape, Dr. Hathaway. You were very fortunate. I was working in the Sierra Mountains at the time. I had a lead-lined laboratory where I did X-ray research on my pet project. And what is that, sir? The study of machines as they relate to human function and the corollary of... Co well, to continue, when the dust cloud covered America, we remained in the laboratory, well supplied with food and water. Later, when the radiation permitted, we made our way east, back to our old home, in the hopes of finding other survivors. But by that time, every living creature had been evacuated to Mars. We were stranded. The migration ships didn't wait for stragglers. That's true. My father and I were on the last rocket out of New York. I've always loved this old house. 
But the loneliness of those first years... At least you had your wife and children. Yes. Yes, I had my family. If it were not for them, gentlemen, I assure you, I would long ago have put a bullet in my head. Here we are. <sighs> Champagne, Captain. Oh, thank you, Mrs. Hathaway. Uh, may... May I propose a toast? Oh, let me. Gentlemen, to Earth. To Earth. Earth. May she never be a stranger to man again. Hathaway, what is it? Uh, nothing really. It's just a rather sharp pain in the chest. I think you should lie uh, no. down, Doctor. No. Yes. Well, perhaps you're right. Let me help you. No, no, no. John and Susan will help. Of course, Father. Why, why don't you gentlemen go out on the porch, enjoy the air? I'll, I'll see you all in the morning. Good night, Doctor. Good night. Come, John. Yes, Father. <laughs> What do you think of old Mother Earth now, Williams? Smell that summer breeze. Look at that view of the city lighted up against the sky. It has a certain quality. Well, score one point for the back-to-earth proponent. <laughs> I didn't say that. You're beginning to feel it, though, Williams. I can tell. If you don't mind, gentlemen, I'm quite tired. I think I'll turn in. Excuse me. Well, Captain? Well, what? What do you make of all this... I don't know what you mean. This Hathaway and his family, there's something strange and unnatural going on here. I can sense it. I think you're reading things into it, Evans. Oh, perhaps. Well, I'll turn in, too. Are you coming? In a moment, I want to smoke a cigarette. Beautiful view. <gasps> what? Is it not? I didn't hear you come out. How is he? Resting. I've never seen him this bad. Yes, he's an old man. I'm sorry, but the difference in your ages is so apparent. You must have been married very young. My husband is a very great man, Captain. It's too bad there was no one to appreciate him. Once, he wired the whole city with sound speakers, and when he pressed a button, the whole town lit up and made noises, as if 10,000 people were living in it. He must have been very lonesome for people. Although with a woman such as you, I don't understand. Perhaps one day you will understand. Good night, Captain. Good night, Mrs. Hathaway. Captain. Captain Parsons. Uh. Who's there? It's Dr. Evans. What time is it? 2 a.m. What's wrong? I couldn't sleep. A few minutes ago, I heard someone slip out the front door. The moonlight, I saw it was the old man. He was headed toward our ship. What are you suggesting, Evans? Nothing, except that it's fairly unnatural for an old man with a bad heart to go wandering off at 2 in the morning. Very well. We'll follow him. See him yet? No. Look, ahead there on the hillside. Isn't that Hathaway kneeling in the moonlight? Yes, I think so. Can we get closer? Let's head for that clump of bushes. 
This is far enough. What do you suppose he's doing there? What are those things on the ground? Good Lord. Those are grave markers. Four of them. You're right. Seems to be praying over them. Listen. Do you forgive me for what I've done? I had to do it. I was so terribly lonely. You, you, you do forgive me, don't you? Yes, I... I feel you do. I'm glad. I think perhaps I can rest now. I think I... He's having another attack. Come on. Hathaway! Dr. Hathaway. Uh, raise his head, Evans. His lips are moving. What is it, Doctor? Lean closer. I... I'm sorry I had to spoil all of this. I've, I've expected it for some time. We'll fix you up. No. No, this is the end for me. It really doesn't matter. Except for them. What about them, Hathaway? You... You suspected, didn't you? Yes, I suspected, but I couldn't believe it until now. Do they know? No. No, they wouldn't understand. I... I, I wouldn't want them to know, ever. The Earth. The Earth. Don't try to talk. The Earth is so fair. Doctor. He's dead, Captain. He knew it was the end this time. Yes, he knew. What was it he meant about your suspect? Light a match, Evans. Look on those four grave markers and tell me what you see. Good Lord. Well? Alice Hathaway. Marguerite Hathaway. Susan Hathaway. John Hathaway. Died July 1987. But that's 20 years ago. If these markers are correct, then who are those others? Can't you guess, Evans? Can't you guess? Mrs. Hathaway, are you awake? Yes, Captain. May I come in? Yes. It's about my husband, isn't it? You knew. I saw him go out tonight. He felt it was near the end. He died less than an hour ago. I'm sorry. Thank you. How do you feel? He told us it would happen one day and that he didn't want us to cry. He didn't teach us how, you know. He said it was the worst thing that could happen to know how to be lonely and unhappy. What will happen to us now that he's gone? I don't know. Will you stay with us? I would like to, but I cannot. You know about us. Yes, I know. I didn't think that you knew yourself. The children don't. I've been aware for a long while. No one would have guessed. You're so perfect. Oh, he would have liked to hear you say that. He was so very proud of us. After a while, he came to love us. And at the end, he took us as his real wife and children. He even forgot sometimes that he had made us. You gave him a great deal of comfort. Yes. Over the years, we sat and talked. He loved so much to talk. I was first, you know. Then he became lonesome for the children. And so he made them. 
He told me about the things he did, about his laboratory. Oh, surely the children must suspect. Oh, no. You see, there were no other beings with which to compare themselves. He must have been a great, great genius. Each morning he took a recording of his voice into town and put it on the automatic telephone. Each night it would call us. I think, what with the phone ringing and the sound of voices and the lights on, he was happy. There was only one thing. One flaw. And that? He couldn't make us grow old. And so he had to watch himself become an old, old man while we stayed young. It was a great blow to him. And so we commend the body of this man, Cornelius Hathaway, to his maker. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust returneth. Amen. Come, John. Yes, Mother. Susan. Marjorie. Evans. Williams. Stay here a moment, please. What is it? Let them go back to the house. I want to speak to you. I know what you're going to tell us, Captain. I saw the names on the grave markers. Well? It's a mockery. A blasphemy of everything we believe in for a man to do something so evil. Can't you imagine what he faced? Can't you imagine what it must have been like to have watched his wife and children die slowly of radiation burns? To know that he was the last man on the face of the earth? Alone? Eternally and unalterably alone? Good Lord, man, what would you have done if you'd had his, his medical and technical genius? That's incredible. Yes, it is. But with an entire American city on which to draw for supplies and equipment, a brilliant man might accomplish anything, even that. What are you suggesting, Captain? That we take them back? We haven't enough space in the ship for that. Every ounce counts. Still, to leave them here, like that, alone. I think I have an answer, cold-blooded as it may seem. Go on. I suggest that we turn them off. Do you think that I could do that? No. But I could. After all, they aren't human. They're worse than robots. They're ghoulish. Have you talked to her? Has she smiled at you with that quiet, beautiful smile? Captain, we can't take them with us. And it would be less than human to leave them here without Hathaway. Could you do it, Evans? Give me the blast gun, Williams. We'll wait on the ship. Take off in half an hour. Half an hour. Six twenty-five. He should be back soon. Yes. He's doing the only humane thing, Captain. They are less than human. Are they? Well, it's done now, and no one will ever... That's the airlock. He's back. Well? Here's your gun. Did you do it? When I entered the house, she looked at me with those fine, intelligent eyes. 
I couldn't do it. It would be murder, cold-blooded murder. I prayed you wouldn't be able to do it. They will never be anything as fine as they are. Built to last 200, 300, perhaps a thousand years. Well, get the course in the integrator, Williams. We'll take off in 20 minutes. I should be back by then. You're going out, sir? I'm going to say goodbye. You've come back. Only to say goodbye. It was nice of you. I wanted you to know that I am coming back someday. When will you come? I don't know. It will take many years to prepare fuel for another trip. Six, seven, perhaps ten years. I will watch the sky at night, just as he watched it. Oh, I'm afraid I must go now. I understand. Strange. I have a new feeling. One which he did not teach us. A feeling of longing. Of sadness. That one is not taught. It comes of being alive. Yes. I am alive. Even though he created me, I'm a person now. Goodbye, Alice Hathaway. Goodbye, John Parsons. just heard another adventure into the unknown world of the future. The world of... Dimension X. When the time comes for man to explore the universe, to deal with the strange inhabitants of other worlds, there will be much to remember. Perhaps the most important lesson of all will seem too fundamental to be included in the training manuals. Listen at this time next week as Dimension X brings you a story from the pages of the August astounding science fiction. A story called Courtesy. Dimension X is presented each week by the National Broadcasting Company in cooperation with Screet and Smith, publishers of the magazine Astounding Science Fiction. Today, Dimension X has presented Dwellers in Silence, written for radio by George Lefferts from the story by Ray Bradbury. Featured in the cast were Peter Capel as Captain Parsons, Bill Griffiths as Dr. Hathaway, and Gertrude Warner as Alice. Your host was Norman Rose, music by Albert Berman. Dimension X is produced by William Welch and directed by Fred Way. Dragnet, the story of your police force, is next on NBC. Time now for Duffy's Tavern on Theater of the Mind. Hello, Duffy's Tavern. Where do you eat meat to eat? Archie, the man you're speaking. Duffy ain't here. Hello, Duffy. 
Huh? Yeah, quite a party here last night. Well, you know, it was the annual meeting of the Third Avenue Shillelagh and Friendship Society. Uh, so around 10 o'clock, uh, everything was going along kind of quiet. You know, a few broken windows, some cracked skulls, a couple of fractured ribs, and then suddenly it started. The rowdy element from Second Avenue moved in. Well, the first thing you know, the fight was on. Duffy, you should have seen the place. There were so many teeth scattered around, the floor looked like it was smiling. <laughs> what a roar. Yeah. yeah. After the battle, uh, you know, just to see what happened to people, we counted noses. Uh, there were six missing. <laughs> no, not people, noses. <laughs> well, look, I gotta hang up. I'm uh, just checking a list of the damages here. Eddie... <laughs> Yeah, 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 Mr. Eddie, uh, we gotta make a list of the damages for the insurance company. Yeah. Now, take this down. Okay. Thirteen broken legs. Thirteen broken legs. Yeah. Two chairs, one table, and a tourist from Hoboken. <laughs> Let's see. Articles missing. Uh, one sterling uh, silver beer mug, value five hundred dollars. Roger, we never had no five hundred dollar beer mug. I said this was for the insurance company. <laughs> Uh, say, speaking of missing articles, where was you last night while the battle was going on? Me? Oh, I was taking a walk. How come? I had a sudden craving to die of old age. <laughs> well, ashamed of you, Eddie. I'm glad at least that I ain't the kind of a guy that runs away from a fight. No, you would have to carry away. <laughs> oh, yeah? Well, you should have been here last night. What happened? Well, there I was. You say you wasn't here last night? No. You sure? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, ain't talked to nobody that was here? No. Well, sir, there I was. <laughs> hey, back to the wall. See, with these three tough guys closing in on me. So I think fast, and I see there's only one thing to do. So I do it. Right. I swing from the floor and knock all three of them out with one punch. Me with one punch? Now, how is that possible? I just hit him. I don't explain him. <laughs> so, the next thing I do... Uh, pick up the three guys and toss them into the gutter. Who's telling this story? <laughs> Sorry. So, like I was saying, I pick up these three guys and toss them into the gutter. <laughs> Eddie, I was like a man biting a dog. Oh, boy. Say, that must have been quite a battle last night. Miss Duffy, all I know is any guy on 3rd Avenue that ain't got a broken nose this morning is a dame. <laughs> it's a lucky thing I was here to keep things from getting out of hand. What did you do? What did I do? All I did was... You say you wasn't here last night? Right. Are you sure? Yeah. And you ain't talked to nobody that was here? No. Well, sir, there I was. Think <laughs> back to the wall. <clears throat> when these uh, characters start rushing me, see, six of them. Hold it, hold it. A minute ago, there was only three. A minute ago, I didn't know my own strength. <laughs> so as I was saying, Miss Duffy, I let fly with me Sunday haymaker, see, and I knocked all six of them into the alley. Six men with one punch? Archie, that don't make sense. 
In the heat of battle, who stops for lodging? <laughs> what a brawl, though. As I start hitting these guys, they're laying all over the place. I'm telling you, I ain't never seen such a mess. Uh, oh. <laughs> Hello, Finnegan. Uh, hi, I heard it was quite a shindig here last night. Wasn't you here? No. Are you sure? Sure. You ain't talked to nobody that was here? No. Well, sir, there I was. Back to the wall. Twelve guys jumping me. Twelve? Quiet, I'm rolling. So, anyways, I pick out this big guy. He must have been seven feet tall, see? Well, fellas, I'd rather not talk about it. Oh, go on. Let's tell us. I'd rather not. Uh, us unsung heroes have got sort of a code, uh, what we call false modesty. Oh, come on. Now, t- tell us some more. I'd, I'd rather not talk about it, then. Okay, have it your way. Will you quit interrupting? <laughs> so as I was saying, this seven-foot bruiser starts picking on me, so I throw him over my shoulder, see, and bounce him on the floor a couple of times, see. You mean a seven-foot tall and you threw him over your shoulder? It's an old Japanese leverage trick, uh, <laughs> what they call Harry Carey. <laughs> well, to make a long story short, before the night's over, I have mayhemed at least 12 guys, see? Oh, boy. You know what? You always was a great fighter. I remember when you was in school, you could lick anybody in the fourth grade. No wonder. At that time, he was in the eighth grade. <laughs> well, just the same. I'll bet he's the bravest guy in the world. Right, Arch? Why? wouldn't say that. <laughs> well, I would. Well, I suppose after last night, I do have a terrific reputation. Boy, oh, but you're the greatest fighter in the world. Well, now, Fennec... Look, Archie, I ain't the kind of guy that goes around looking for autographs, but do me a favor, will you? What? So I'll be able to tell me grandchildren, punch me in the nose. <laughs> Look, Finnegan, if I ever hit you, you won't have no grandchildren. Oh, come on, Art. You're a friend of mine. Please, knock me out. <laughs> Sorry, Finnegan, but I got to save me strength for emergencies. Now, uh, as I was saying, this guy was seven feet tall. Yeah, see? yeah. So no sooner do I get through with him than his big brother comes in. About eight feet tall. Give or take an inch. <laughs> Well, anyway, this guy comes up to me, see, and... Hey, bartender, I'd like a drink. Later, bud, I'm telling a story. So, like I say, this uh, eight-foot guy is toting a rod. He's standing there with his brass knuckles emptying the nickels out of the pinball machine. Well, right away, I can see that he's a troublemaker, see? Hey, pal, I said that I would like a drink. Look, will you stop interrupting? Now, where was I? Oh, yeah. So I goes over to him, and I says, look, chum... Did you come in here looking for trouble? Hey, look, Doc, I am becoming Ike. Am I going to get that drink? Quiet, will you? I'm doing a talking here. Hey, Bud, you ain't going to be doing a talking very long if I shove me fist down your throat. Hmm. All right, <laughs> why don't you suck this guy? Quiet, quiet. <laughs> the gentleman is talking. <clears throat> You were saying something, sir? I was about to say that you are a stinking bartender. <laughs> well, sir, uh, I may not agree with what you say, but I will defend to the death your right to say it. <laughs> Just a minute, 
Bud. You better not talk to Archie that way. You know, last night he beat up 40 guys like you. Please, uh, leave us not poor, our guest. Now, uh, look, what kind of a drink would you like, Mr. Uh, uh... McGurk is the name. Spike McGurk. And now I don't want a drink because I don't like being ignored, and I don't like fresh bartenders, and I don't like you. But, Mr. McGurk... You talk too much. Good night, punk. <laughs> oh, yeah, you and who else? <laughs> Funny, you never think of them clever answers until it's too late. <laughs> well, sir, as I was saying... Uh, don't talk to me, Arch. What's the matter? Letting that McGuck push you around. Well, Funny, and you know how hot-headed I am, and... Took a lot of self-control to keep so cool. Cool, you was positively shivering. <laughs> but you said last night you beat up 12 guys. Arch, were you just lying? Finnegan, you know, if I was lying, I'd have made a 14. <laughs> well, then how come you was afraid of just one guy? I wasn't afraid. It's just that I fight best when the odds is against me. Well, all I know is when I stood there and... Sean McGurk insulting you, and I saw you stand there and take it. Uh, well, I hate to say it. What? Arch, something died inside of me. <laughs> <laughs> made me, made me feel ashamed that I was a man. Now look, Clifton. I don't like to say it, but goodbye, coward. <laughs> <laughs> look like you lost a friend. Yeah. Really a little ashamed of myself, Eddie. I've known a guy all my life, and his friendship means a lot to me. Guess there's only one thing to do. What? Lick McGirt. <laughs> Are you kidding? One punch on the chin and you'd be out cold. Are you and Fern and I have a glass jaw? All I'm saying is the last guy that hit you there wound up with seven years' bad luck. <laughs> Nevertheless, I gotta show Finnegan I ain't no coward. No sacrifice is too great to keep a friend's friendship. Wait a minute. Here he comes back. Uh, now look, Arch. Finnegan, are you still talking to me? Sure, can't you tell? <laughs> well, sometimes it's hard. But uh, anyhow, I got news for you. I'm gonna fight McGurk. Well, I see. Really? Yeah. Oh, I knew you wouldn't let me down, Arch. Shake. Okay, put it there. <clears throat> Ouch! Be careful, Finnegan. Uh, that's the hand that's going to knock out Spike McGurk. <laughs> Arch just makes me the happiest man in the world. You see, Eddie, it don't make much to make a friend happy. All I got to do is go out and get myself killed. <laughs> Inhale, exhale. Inhale, exhale. Yeah. What you doing? Uh, I'm training for the fight, Eddie. I'm doing my breathing exercises. Uh. Yeah, after Spike McGirt gets through with you, you won't have to worry about breathing. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, don't be so sure about that. You know, where I come from, we chew rust and spit nails. <laughs> that man is twice as big as you. So what? Size ain't everything. Remember the story of David and Goliath? I'm the David type. Well, he certainly can sling it. 
not interrupt me training, will you? Now, uh, where'd I put that glass of carrot juice? Carrot juice? Yeah, it gives you calcium. What? What? All you got to do is wait, man. You get plenty of calcium during the fight. What do you mean? McGurk will knock your teeth down your throat. <laughs> Eddie, brute force ain't everything. Remember, in boxing, it takes brain as well as brawn. Okay, so you're a two-time loser. Oh, yeah? Well, just wait till I get in condition now. Uh, give me another drink of that carrot juice. Hey, Archie, why do you keep drinking that stuff for? Good for me, Miss Duffy. It puts hair on my chest. Oh. Care for some? <laughs> Hey, look, uh, don't you think you'd better do some boxing? Yeah, who can I use for sparring partner? Hmm. Eddie, I don't like to ask you to do this. You know, boxing is a kind of a rough sport, but how about going a couple of rounds with me? Be happy to. Nothing doing, you're too anxious. <laughs> Let's see, who else is there? Uh, how about you? I happen to be a woman. Who has to know? <laughs> No, thanks. Okay, let's see. Who else is there? Hey, Arch. Oh, hello, Joe. Hey, I hear you're going to fight Spike McGurk. That's right. Do you really want to look good against him? Certainly I do. Then, before the fight, put a little Vitalis on your hair. Because with Vitalis on the hair, everybody looks good. Tell me, why is that, Joe? (laughs) Because Vitalis and the 60-second workout tames down dry, unruly hair and helps keep it handsome and healthy-looking. And without a greasy patent leather shine. No mineral oil in Vitalis, you know. No, just carrot juice. <laughs> no, Vitalis contains only pure vegetable oil. And the Vitalis 60-second workout refreshes and stimulates your scalp. Actually prevents hair and scalp dryness. So, Arch, take my tip. Before the fight, put a little Vitalis on your hair. Why, Joe? The referee ain't gonna be a dame. I know, but at least when they carry you out of the ring, you'll be well-groomed. Oh. Uh, Miss Archer, why don't you give up this fight with McGurk? I can't, Eddie. I told you. I gotta prove to Finnegan that, that I ain't a coward. Besides, I'm getting in pretty good shape here. Uh, feel this muscle. Hmm. What does it feel like? J E L L O. Hey, Arch, are you getting in shape? Never felt better in my life, and again. Good, I'll go tell my dyke you're ready for it. Uh, just a minute. Uh, believe us, not being a rush about this. What? You ain't gonna let me down again, are you? Well, no, it's just that I feel I could use a little more training. Eddie, the carrot juice, please. <laughs> Eight, nine, ten. <clears throat> well, that takes care of the chest exercises. Eddie, uh, measure me up again, will you? Uh, yeah, now, let's see. Neck, 15 inches. Shoulders. Hmm. Something wrong? No, I was just wondering, what keeps your collar from sliding down over your shoulder? Hey, Boss, you're looking great shape. Well, uh, yes. Shall uh, I go get McGuck? Well, we don't have to hurry. I ain't quite finished me training yet. Eddie, uh, pass me the carrot juice, please. <clears throat> Inhale. Exhale. 
Exhale. Inhale. Well, how'd you go, Notch? Uh, pretty good, Finnegan. You uh, had plenty of carrot juice? Yeah, loaded with it. Good, then you won't mind the surprise. What's the surprise? Well, McGurk is on his way That's over. That's nice. I... Would you mind to repeat that? Well, I told him you was ready, so he's on his way over for the fight. And, Notch, I want to tell you, I'm mighty proud of you. <laughs> I'll go get you some more carrot juice. McGurk is on his way over. Eddie. Eddie, how am I going to get out of this? I can't fight this guy. I, I got me career to think of. Your career? Well, for fighting might, might ruin me fingers for mixing martinis. <laughs> now, maybe you should challenge him to a duel. With swords? Or pistol? Eddie, you just give me an idea. What? How about I just challenge him to a debate? Miss <laughs> Arthur, if you want to keep Finnegan's friendship, there ain't no way you can get out of this. But, Eddie, me, me nerves, they're all jittery. Look, look, turn on the radio. Maybe some music will relax me, huh? Okay. Friends, do you need accident insurance? <laughs> Eddie, I said music. Well, I'm trying. All I want for Christmas is for two front teeth. For two front teeth. For two front teeth. And, you know, I'll, I'll try another station. <laughs> and what a fight it is at Madison Square Garden. The crowd is yelling for blood. I'm sorry. Leave it on. Maybe I'll get a few pointers. <laughs> what a massacre. Left him alone, lashes out. And once again, Paddley Delaman goes down. He gets up and runs into another slashing right. Another left and another right. Delaman is now hanging onto the ropes. And, uh-oh, the referee is stopping the fight. It's a merciful end to a bitter battle, folks. Fight fans haven't seen a slaughter like this since that memorable night six years ago when Kid Hogan was so brutally beaten by that roughest fighter of all time... Spike McGurk. <laughs> Care for some carrot juice? <laughs> Did you hear that? That's the guy that's coming down here to malface me. Buddy, <laughs> what am I going to do? Get hold of yourself. Get some confidence. I got plenty of confidence, but it's all in McGurk. <laughs> maybe, maybe I should do the sportsman-like thing, huh? What's that? Get out of town. <laughs> Uh-oh. It's too late. What do you mean? Look what just come in the door. Spike McGurk. Oh, quick, Eddie. Eddie, we gotta act fast. What you gonna do? Well, there's only thing we only one thing we can do, Eddie. Uh, yeah? You throw the bum out. I... <laughs> <laughs> throw him out. Man, I'm buying this gentleman a drink. Oh, no. Man, I was tipped off that a Satan Pony has been begging for a fight, so that I thought I would drop over and oblige the crumb. <laughs> good evening, sir. Uh, may I bid you good evening, Mr. McGuire? Who are you? Friend of the loser. <laughs> well, here he is, Josh. Go ahead. Tell him all. Now, look, McGurk, uh, uh... That's telling him. <laughs> Give me a chance, Eddie. I'll tell him. Now, first, let me tell you what I think of you, see? I don't like the way you look. I don't like the way you talk. I don't like the way you act. In fact, I don't like anything about you. Well, none of us is perfect. <laughs> Oh, I hope I wasn't right when I called you a coward. Okay, McGurk, would you care to step outside? <laughs> would you repeat that? 
Would you care to step outside? <laughs> Let's go. Okay, you go outside and I'll stay inside. <laughs> oh, come on, quit stalling. But, but McGurk, we got a rule here at the tavern. Uh, no, no fighting allowed without boxing gloves. Right, Eddie? Right. And uh, we don't happen to have no boxing gloves. To... Right, Eddie? Right. Oh, there's boxing gloves right there on the wall. <laughs> I wonder if his friendship is worth it. <laughs> come on, I'll help you put the gloves on. Well, we all got to go sometime. Okay, Finnegan. Hey, Eddie, Eddie, help me with my gloves, will you? Yeah, okay, champ. Uh, look, look, Mr. McGurk, come here. Sir. Yeah? Uh, could you kind of take it easy on Mr. Archer, you know, sort of leave him living a little bit? <laughs> Why should I? Well, you see, he, he, he ain't such a bad guy, you see. The, the, the reason he talked himself into this fight is on account of his friend, Mr. Finnegan. See, he didn't... He didn't want him to think he was a coward. Oh, so, so that's it, eh? <laughs> yeah, that's funny. I, I can understand how the guy feels. I remember I was a little scared once before a fight. I'll never forget the look in me kid brother's eyes. Oh, he lost all his faith in me that night. Yeah, I can understand how this Archie feels. Eddie, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you. I think I am going to let him win. Oh, thank <laughs> you, Miss McGuff. That's nice of you. Well, I got the gloves on. Well, that's good. Let's fight. You realize, sir, this is your last chance to back out. <laughs> Cut the conversation, will you? Come on, come on, hit me. Uh, just a second. <laughs> Mercy me, I think I smelled something burning in the kitchen. <laughs> come back here, I'm in a hurry. Now, look, will you just make a fist, hold out your arm, and I'll run into it. <laughs> Wait a minute, I, I just remembered I gotta go over to the library I, I got a book that's overdue uh, Don't be scared, last night you beat up 12 guys Last night I was a much younger man <laughs> My former friend, I'm afraid that you are a coward Okay, that did it Okay, there it comes Yeah Ouch <laughs> Please, mister, do not hit me no more. I have had enough, and you have emerged victorious. <laughs> oh, did you hear that? Victorious. Boy, Archie, I'm proud of you. Thank you, Finnegan. Well, champ, so long, and congratulations. Just a minute. <laughs> Come back here. Huh? I ain't true with you, McGurk. <laughs> Mr. Archie, now please. Uh, put out of this, Eddie. Look, McGurk. I don't like your face. I don't like the way you talk. And I don't like you. Now look, pal, will you leave well enough alone? <laughs> don't talk that way to me, you punk. Put up your dukes. Ah, there's blood on the moon tonight. <laughs> Pal, I am trying to be nice to you, but don't push your luck too far. <laughs> Yella, huh? Take this, McGurk. Mark, speak to me. <laughs> oh, that dirty McGurk. Eddie, give me that bottle. Hey, look, McGurk, your shoelace is untied. It is? Yeah. Now, take that. Oh, that did it. Now, Eddie... Let's pick Archer. All right. Yeah. Hey, 
Where am I? You all right, Arch? What happened? Hey. Hey, look at my cake. Out cold on the floor. That's right. You see, fellas? That carrot juice is pretty strong stuff. (laughs) And after this, Finnegan, when you talk about somebody being a coward, look the other way, will you? leave Duffy's Tavern for this evening, but let's meet here again at the same time next Wednesday when our guests will be Ann Southern and Jimmy Durante. Duffy's Tavern is brought to you by Vitalis for well-groomed hair and Truchet, the hand lotion with the beforehand extra. Each Wednesday, Bristol Myers brings you Duffy's Tavern and Mr. District Attorney, which follows immediately over most of these stations. This is radio's Mr. District Attorney, friends. If you want to enjoy a real thrill, a dramatic story full of exciting action and unusual entertainment, hear the case of the Bar of Soap on Mr. District Attorney, which follows immediately on NBC. Thank you for listening. I hope you'll be with me next week when I'll uncover more gems from the golden age of radio. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a wonderful weekend. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.